What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Now we continue our series on grace every day. We've been exploring different ways of experiencing God's grace, from nature to patience when things don't go our way, from being face-to-face with God to recognizing the various seasons of life. Whatever stage of life you are in, God is there. God is inviting you to open yourself to what he has for you in this time and place. Now we look at another way God's grace can embrace us, and that's in the midst of the Sabbath. Some of you will know that word right away, and when you hear Sabbath, you say Sunday. Sunday is our Sabbath, but it's more than just a day of the week. Sabbath speaks to our very soul, to our entire way of being. Let's hear our scripture reading read by Ralph. It's from early on in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has started his public ministry. Many people have been healed. In in fact, multiple times the crowds are so huge and so frenetic, people can't even get to Jesus. He spends all day healing people and still more are coming. This is pretty amazing. But the part that really stands out is that he's not doing this for his own gain. He speaks with authority over evil, forgiving people and telling them they are loved by God. It's no benefit to him, just goodness and love for others. No one's ever seen anything like this before, but the religious leaders hate it. Not only is he drawing together these rowdy crowds, he's doing it on Sunday. It looks like he's flouting religious tradition, breaking Sabbath law. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look! Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill it? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. 
And from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in us a way of living that we can experience your grace every day, even on the Sabbath. Make us right with you, not because we follow your law, but because we place our trust in you fully and completely. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I got my first real job when I was in high school. Sure, I delivered newspapers as a kid and went to work for my dad sometimes, but my first real job was in high school. I remember the interview quite well. It lasted all of five minutes. At the time, I was pretty sure they either really liked me or were incredibly desperate to hire someone. Uh, But later, I actually found out that my dad, who worked in the corporate office, put in a good word for me. Uh, Everything seemed to be going great until they told me what days I would have to work. Uh, I had to be flexible. My schedule could be any day, any hour, Sunday through Saturday. And I told them, but I have to go to school Monday through Friday, and they begrudgingly accepted that shift to the schedule. And then I told them that I had to go to church on Sunday morning. That was actually more important to me than going to school. Not only was my family there every week, so were all of my friends. Church was the center of my life, and at the very core of it was a command from God, keep the Sabbath holy. Six days you will work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. The person who had taught me this was none other than my father, the same person who helped me get the job in the first place. Working on Sunday, though, was a line in the sand for me and for the business. The company I was hired at had another employee who had been begging them to hire a new person so that she could have uh, off from work on Sunday morning. She wanted to go to church, too. Now they had two people doing the same job, both saying they wouldn't work on Sunday. It was all quite confusing. It took some creativity and compromises from everyone, but eventually things got worked out. I've always wondered, though, did I do the right thing taking a job that made me work on Sunday? Was I breaking God's rule for Sabbath? It was actually the Jewish people who received this command from Moses to keep the Sabbath. It was also the first time in history that it was part of a seven-day cycle. One day was a day of rest, and the other six days were for work. This always made the Jewish people stick out. And in ancient history, folks wondered, what the heck is going on with these people that every seven days they stop working and take a holiday? It used to be that in most cultures, you worked every day until there was some big annual festival. That was it. That was the only time that you had off from work. Uh, the Romans, though, they really liked the idea of these weekly days off, but they had an eight-day cycle, so they always took the eighth day off. Uh, another ancient practice was to rest on the 7th, 14th, 21st, and 28th of every month. 
Uh, My favorite Sabbath practice, though, was the Cherokee, who would rest on the first day of the new moon. They said you couldn't work or cook, but also that you were not allowed to give birth to a child on that day. I have no idea how they enforce that rule. So all kinds of people and groups have these different practices around rest. You'd think the Christians, at least, would keep up a a weekly Sabbath resting on Sunday. Turns out this was only sort of true sometimes. Throughout most of history, even Christians worked all seven days a week. It was only through the labor movement in the 1800s that people finally put their foot down and said, come on, we need to have one day off in a week. In the U.S., it wasn't until 1940 that a law was passed mandating a 40-hour work week that we finally started to have both Sunday and Saturday off from work. So for me, I've never known anything but a five-day work week and a two-day weekend. Last year, there was a massive study in the United Kingdom of 61 companies and about 3,000 employees who volunteered to try a four-day work week for six months, and the results were astounding. Not only did the change increase job satisfaction, improve work-life balance, and reduce employee stress, the companies increased revenues by 15%. People took less sick days and did just as much work as they did in the five-day system. It was a win, win, win. There is just something about humans that when we rest, recover, and spend time with friends and family, life is just better. It's almost as if Sabbath is a built-in response to the human condition. We need rest to be better people. This, I believe, is another kind of grace God makes available to all of us every day if we choose it. Now, when Jesus comes along, the Jewish culture of his day is steeped in Sabbath rest. Every week, the people gather to sing and pray and rest. You couldn't travel too far or you'd be breaking Sabbath. You couldn't hunt animals or work to prepare food either. Those are also violations. There were a list of 39 things you couldn't do because they were considered creative acts. You were making something or producing something, and that's work. You can't do that. The only exception to this law was if you were acting to save someone's life. The rules weren't just relaxed to save someone's life, though. The rule was you must save the person's life. So as opposed to the Cherokee prohibition against giving birth at the new moon, in Judaism you must take a person giving birth to a hospital. The rules just changed when things were life and death. So then we come to our scripture for today, where Jesus is in the wheat field with the disciples. They're hungry, so the disciples start pulling off the grain and and eating it. The Pharisees, who are religious leaders, are mad about this because based on how they read the rules, this is a violation. You can't work. You can't prepare food. Since Jesus is the rabbi or teacher for the disciples, he's responsible for their behavior. You'd think Jesus would concede the point. Yeah, my students broke the rules. I'll, I'll tell them to stop doing that. But that's not what he does. Instead, he cites a scripture where there was one little exception made for King David. He makes an argument for why what his disciples 
what they did, did not break the rules. My wife, Emily, is taking some continuing education classes, and she was telling me about a practice test they, they had to take. It was all multiple choice, and she was, she was mad about the results of this practice test she took. There were a bunch of questions where she said there were two right answers in a certain way of thinking. She said if she could just make her case to the teachers and explain why she put the answer down that she did, they would have told her that she was right. But that's not how multiple choice works, is it? There's only one right answer, and that's how these religious leaders were viewing the Sabbath laws. There is only one right answer, one way to do it, and that's not what Jesus was doing. Then following right along with the story, Jesus goes into the church and sees a a man who has a, a withered hand. That would mean the muscles and nerves of the hand were inactive and it would have shrunk compared to his other hand. It's a terrible thing and would have led to serious hardship for him and day in and, and day out. There was no known cure for this kind of paralysis. So what does Jesus do? He sees the man, tells him to come forward, and after asking if it is lawful to do good and save a person's life on the Sabbath, he heals him. Now, two things are happening in the same moment. One is that Jesus is revealing his power and his connection to God. An incredible thing just happened. And you'd think they would be excited about that. But the other thing is that the religious leaders are angered by this. They want to kill Jesus. The rule was, if someone could make an argument for their actions on the Sabbath, and it was a a disputed religious matter, there was no punishment for it. It's just a different interpretation of the law. If someone unwittingly broke a Sabbath rule, though, the punishment was light. But if someone rejected Sabbath law, then the punishment would be severe, including banishment or death. Jesus has clearly not rejected the Sabbath. He's explaining how to understand it and why it matters. So in the end, it's actually the religious leaders that are rejecting the law and dishonoring the Sabbath. Part of what Jesus wants to teach us over and over is that the law only takes you so far. Rules are perfectly good until you have to actually apply them. Once you have an actual situation you are dealing with, you have to look at more than just the letter of the law. Context matters. People's lives matter. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean you stop doing what's right and good for people. I was talking to someone in the church this week about an important matter in the church, and I told this person, I can see two paths in front of us. One is to do the easy thing, the convenient thing. It's not a lie, it's just simpler. The other option is much harder. It's going to require a lot of time and energy. It's going to mean some tough conversations with folks to not only help make the right thing happen, but to try and keep open doors and to not burn bridges with people. And I asked this person what they thought was the right answer. You know what they said? They said it's probably not one, and it's probably not two. It's probably a third thing, to do both of these things, to share the the larger context and do everything we can to have good, positive relationships as much as we can. I was floored by the wisdom of this person. I felt like Jesus himself had just spoken to me. 
Yes, of course it's not the easy way. It's not even doing things the hard way. The answer is always to do our best to do them the right way, the way that honors people and relationships, that has love at its center and seeks to make this world a better place. That's what Jesus' answer was when faced with Sabbath law and the health and well-being of the person in front of him. Do what's right and do what's good, even if people don't like it, even if they want to kill you for it, stay committed to blessing others. We've seen throughout this series that grace means we have the favor of God. God is drawn to us. Too often we think God is drawn to us because we behave the right way. We do the right thing, so now God has to help me and will not help you, but, but that's, that's not all of it. God is drawn to us because we are looking out for others, because we are trying to do the right thing and to make the world a better place. It's not about our behavior necessarily. It's about our intention and our continuous pursuit of blessing others. Sure, you'll mess up. Sure, you'll anger people along the way, but keep at it. Keep pursuing the good of others, which will bring God's grace into the situation every day. There's an author who makes the point that in the Sabbath, what is really happening is that we are reminding ourselves of a timeless truth. When God created this world, everything he made was physical. Sun, moon, stars, earth, seas, plants, animals, it's all stuff. But the crowning achievement of God's creation was the last thing he did. He made people. We are not the best because our immune systems are so good at fighting disease or because we can make fancy buildings. It's not even about our our brains and how smart we are. We are the crown because we are not just physical. We are spiritual too. God is spiritual. Angels and the unseen are spiritual and you are spiritual too. You are both physical and spiritual. We are, are unique in all of creation because of this place we have. We can interact with the physical and we can practice the spiritual disciplines to touch the divine. When we practice Sabbath, we are reminding ourselves that we are not machines. We are not physical beings that can just go and go and go without ever stopping. We need rest. And when we rest, we can take that opportunity to get in touch with our spiritual side. We can experience the things that are beyond what we can simply see with our eyes. So what do you need to practice Sabbath? What reminds you that you are more than just physical and helps you to see beyond the world that's visible with our eyes? The religious leaders in Jesus' time missed it. They got so caught up in the rules, they wanted to kill Jesus for prioritizing people, for showing God's favor and loving them. What do you need in your Sabbath so you can touch the spiritual? A beautiful church? An uplifting choir? A a good sermon, hopefully? 
Maybe it's spending time with the family in the afternoon or spending time with some folks on the margins of society. You are not a machine. You are the beloved creation of God that needs to be filled spiritually and can touch the soul of another person. What is it that God has for you today? When you practice Sabbath, there is a whole different kind of grace you experience in life. So let's end with this. Uh, In May 1853, Phoebe and her husband, Holden Judson, joined a covered wagon train near Kansas City, hoping to reach Washington Territory by mid-October. This was a distance of more than 2,000 miles over the rough Oregon Trail. Like all wagon trains, they elected a captain. His word was the law for the group, and they chose the Reverend Gustavus Hines, only to be surprised one Saturday night when he announced the wagon train would never travel on Sundays. Phoebe was shocked. They had half a continent to cross. At oxen pace, 15 to 20 miles per day on a good trail with mountain passes and tons of river crossings, she sat in her wagon and fumed. One family even deserted the train and joined another. On their first Sunday, while they stood still, one train after another passed them by. They started out again on Monday, only to reach their first river cross on Tuesday evening. A long line of wagons stretched out ahead of them, waiting for the single ferry to carry them across. They waited three days. On Saturday, they resumed the journey, only to be told they would still rest the whole next day. Phoebe was livid. This made absolutely no sense to her. And a few weeks later, she began to see scores of dead oxen, mules, and horses along the trail. They had been driven so relentlessly, they had collapsed and died. She grudgingly admitted that perhaps the animals needed a day of rest. A few weeks later, she admitted that maybe the men needed it too, since they walked most of the time beside the wagons. Then she slowly began to notice that as they worshipped, ate, rested, and even played together on Sundays, it had such a positive effect on people's spirits. There was less grumbling, more cooperation. She even noticed that they seemed to make better time the other six days. Finally, what sold her on the value of the Sabbath happened one Sunday evening. The family that had deserted them came limping into their campsite, humbly asking to rejoin them. She had assumed they were at least a week ahead. In fact, they had fallen behind. Their own wagon train had broken down. Of course, they welcomed them back, and so they reached their destination in plenty of time as friends convinced of the value of Sabbath. As you take time to practice Sabbath, may you know God's grace more and more every day. Sabbath is not just a rule that provides us fringe benefits. It is a reminder that you are the crown of creation, touching both heaven and earth. As you experience God's grace in your own life, may you share it with the world around you, that we might all know the blessing of Sabbath. Amen. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.